Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Place podcast, your podcast for strategies on the future of place and the evolving relationships between people, place, technology, and data. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the podcast. And at the Future of Place, we believe that place is the superior driver for our economy, an accelerator for sustainability, productivity, and inclusivity in our cities, communities, and towns. The work that we're doing is guided by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, what we refer to as the Global Goals. You can find out more about our work at the Future of Place if you head to our website, futureofplace.global. But for now, let's discuss. Hi everyone, my name is Adam Beck. I am Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand and your host of the Future of Place podcast. Delighted to bring you another episode and today we're going to tackle plan tech and I've got three fantastic guests who are joining me. Yes, that's right, three guests, all of which who are involved in leading the plan tech agenda in Australia with many of their other planning colleagues. I've got Claire and Sasha and Pragya, and they're part of the Planning Institute of Australia's Plan Tech Working Group, one of many working groups that PIA has. Uh, Claire, Sasha and Pragya, welcome. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for Hi, having us, Adam. Thank you. Great. L looking, looking forward to getting your views on this one. Claire, can we start with you just very quickly? Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm currently a Scientia Scholar at the University of New South Wales, researching the kind of intersection of urban planning and computing. And I guess relevant to this conversation, I kicked off a number of initiatives with the Planning Institute of Australia around Plantech back in 2019 and have been involved in that and then formulating policy for the Planning Institute of Australia ever since that time. Awesome. And thank you, Claire. And while I've got you, um, such great work that you've been sort of catalyzing over the last number of years that I've been watching. So congrats on that. So thank you. And definitely having the help of a large number of planners and the interest is, is growing every day. Absolutely. That's been really good. And, and, and so it should. And so it should. And beside you today, welcome. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Thank you. Yep, Pragya here. I am currently, I just recently finished um, the Masters of City Analytics at UNSW as well, working in a similar space to Claire's PhD, but I was focused um, a little bit more on plan tech and particularly strategic planning in Sydney. And I'm just um, really interested in kind of using plan tech as a means of improving strategic planning practices in Sydney. So I've been looking at a lot of the um, work that's been coming out of Department of Planning recently around the kind of digitization of the planning portal and all the tools and data that comes with that, essentially. Awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining us. And finally, Sasha, over to you. Who are you and what do you do? Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Adam. So I'm Sasha Nichols. I'm an e-planner at Vicevist. We're a software company specialising in web-based e-planning tools. And we've got a particular focus right now on the public sector. And I come from a traditional planning background. So my role at Vicevist is to kind of be somewhat of a customer expert and assist with pretty much every stage of a product implementation from a town planning perspective. So 
yeah, I'm kind of really on the ground implementing plan tech solutions. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Now, for our listeners out there, just a quick advertisement. If you jump into a web browser and search planning.org.au, you'll head to the Planning Institute of Australia's website. And if you search uh, if you search Plan Tech, that'll take you to a place where not only you'll get to see the two national working groups that PIA have set up, you'll also more importantly, or as importantly, I should say, you'll also find the 10 plan tech principles, which I suppose somewhat have recently been released. So what we do now is we jump into three questions, 20 minutes. I had the choice, I suppose, when I originally set up this interview, the two working groups that PIA has, one is the plan tech working group, and the other one is the plan tech young professionals working group. And I thought I'm going to go with the young professionals and we'll have a conversation with so an element of this of course is looking looking to the future and getting you know getting some some more younger fresher minds potentially sharing their views and the first the first question we're going to address is current state of play plan tech we've probably got a lot of listeners who are not necessarily across the plan tech concept claire i'd like to go to you first because i'd also like to draw on your expertise and experience in the work you've been doing with PIA, would you do two things for me? One is in your own words, based on what you've really been building up with PIA, what is Plan Tech briefly? And then I'd love your response to that first question about what you think the current state of play is. Over to you. Thanks, Adam. Um, so Plan Tech, basically what I define Plan Tech is, is the kind of the new wave of digital technology in how it applies to planning and planning work. As far as I'm concerned, it is synonymous with things like e-planning and digital planning. We use the word plan tech to kind of invite a refreshed conversation and, and a new conversation because e-planning initiatives, many of them very successful, but are more than a decade old now, many of them. And since then we have all these new digital capabilities um, and we want to be able to, to think about how that changes the game and how that changes the state of play. In terms of the current state of play, I would say that there are a number of people starting to think about it, but the progress is, is still patchy and incremental. When I think about what is most, what, what is currently missing, I suppose, is this idea that we need to have planning digi digital infrastructure uh, as public digital infrastructure. And this is not the shiny toys that we often talk about, whether it's digital twins or automated assessment systems or other types of analytics, which are all very important, but in order for any of that to happen, at least at scale, we need this underlying platform of digitized planning information. And PROGS has been looking at that as part of her research, and maybe you can talk a bit about that. But without having the information digitized, as in, in many parts of Australia, to greater or lesser degrees, we won't really start to realize the benefit of of Plantech as a whole. That's fantastic, Claire. Appreciate those views. Over to you, same question, Plantech mm -hmm. and the state of play. 
So absolutely, I can build on Claire's comments. I think I take the point about sort of the digital infrastructure component. For me, I think maybe potentially one of the biggest challenges in terms of widespread adoption of plant tech and co-related initiatives is kind of potentially like a lack of champions in the industry. I see a lot of both local government and state government organizations doing some really great pilot programs at smaller scale and achieving very targeted objectives through these pilot initiatives. And that a lot of that is just that question around the lack of data. And so they've had to potentially like maybe purchase some data, but it's not really feasible to purchase it at a large scale. And so they're rolling out these pilot projects to try and understand and document the benefits of these initiatives. But I think with some more champions, I'm hoping, you know, potentially like Department of Planning and other um, state agencies, if we have more champions and advocacy, we actually can provide that justification and not rely exclusively on these pilot projects to justify the documentation of this data. And again, like with Department of Planning, a lot of their data is statewide. And that's the challenge that I think a lot of local governments potentially have is some local government areas have data that others don't. And so when they roll out these projects, a lot of other local government areas aren't really able to adopt the same lessons learned because there's just so many gaps in the data and the kind of different strategic objectives that we're all trying to meet. But if we had like a champion, I think that would go a long way. That's what I found, I guess, in my research to summarize. Thank you very much. And I'm going to put you all on notice for a follow-up question in a moment, which is through your training and skills development and, and education in university and, and, you know, whether it be undergraduate or postgraduate, I'd love to know your views on how you did or did not build your data literacy capabilities and how important that is now for sort of average planner that enters the workforce. But, but let me come back, Sasha, for, for you to finish off with this first question in terms of the state of play, would you share some views around plan tech and where it's at from your perspective? Absolutely. Totally agree with Claire and Pragya's points. And just to build on that, I suppose, I think we're really kind of in the beginning stages of digital transformation on a mass scale. It's it's really starting to become quite mainstream now and not just like a futuristic kind of concept. And yeah, we've got some really exciting things happening, some very cool, interesting options being explored And I think in some ways we're feeling quite inspired and and optimistic. Just to build on Pragya's point, I think there's still a bit of fear, which is natural with any kind of change. So, yeah, there's a cultural shift that needs to happen and we need people championing this cause. And also I think there's a lot of discussion and contemplation right now just around how do we actually manage this change in the best possible way to ensure we're achieving the best possible outcomes four places from this change. Awesome points there, Sasha. Thanks for sharing those. Can I continue, Sasha, with you? That that sort of follow-up question that I wanted to ask, really curious around your training, your skills development coming out of university with a level of data literacy that has been able to equip you 
to move mm. into the workforce. Is, is that something that was, is very strong? You feel you've been able to jump into a, a world which is immersed within the digital economy and, you know, where everything's sort of data related. How, how have you felt that sort of transition and did you have the skills around data for that? I, acknowledging, mm. of course, that we always build and mature, but mm. w- what would be your views around data literacy and the skills you, you've got and you've come to the workforce with? Yeah, so I think it's absolutely lacking in planning degrees, particularly bachelor's degrees. The only sort of course or program that touched on anything to do with the plan tech space that I experienced was GIS, which is, of course, extremely important, but it was a very broad course that was not particularly tailored to the planning world. It was quite general. And so I think it's absolutely an area that needs more work. I think my sort of main training and learnings was from joining the ISAVIS team and coming into this new role. That's where I really start to understand this area. So yeah, absolutely need some more work in that space. Okay. I appreciate your honesty and sharing there. Same question for you, data literacy, your skills, where are you at? How did you feel sort of the transition from university to work was? Yeah, no, great question. I totally agree with Sasha. I think tertiary education is still lacking, I guess, in like in the traditional planning degree sense. Same for me in terms of undergrad planning. As Sasha said, majority of the kind of digital subject was GIS, essentially. I've always had kind of this interest, so I definitely kind of lean on the self-taught side a little bit. And when I wanted to pursue it more, I, that's when I enrolled in the Masters of City Analytics. And I think that's a really great example of probably a forward thinking degree that does kind of look at providing skills that look to the future for me. And I think now working in state government, I will say I've really been able to apply those skills and I can absolutely see the benefit because coming into this role now and having that literacy has really, I think, enabled me to also communicate that and showcase that to my colleagues who haven't had any of that training. And I think everyone in the organization appreciates that there is a difference between kind of someone interested and maybe, you know, wants to innovate and some, but someone who feels that way, but also then has kind of the skills and the the resources and the ability to execute on some of those initiatives. And I think I'm really grateful and I'm really like glad that I did the master's degree because I, I can acknowledge there's no way that despite my interests, I would have been able to do the work that I'm doing now without spending the time to specifically learn those skills. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I think Chris Pettit's done a fantastic job in setting up that program and had the opportunity to present a couple of times uh, to the cohorts down there. Thanks. Thanks, Pragya, for that that comment. Claire, same question to you around data literacy. Now you've also spent, you know, a good yeah. amount of time out in the out in the workforce as well in different places, now doing the PhD. Your response to that question? I've had a similar experience to um, Sasha and Prods. So my undergraduate degree, maybe a GIS course. And it really wasn't until I got into the workforce and was working in in a little urban analytics team within Brisbane City Council that I started to see kind of the opportunities and what could be done with data and also the frustrations of, of some of my work and just feeling 
within myself that surely this is something a computer could be helping me with. Surely I don't have to sit here transcribing applications manually or whatever it was. And I, so yeah, I also went off and I went to University College London and did a master's in smart cities and urban analytics. I guess just having done that now gives me the confidence, I guess, I guess not to feel so helpless, the confidence to engage and realize that actually a lot of the technology that could be very disruptive to the planning industries isn't actually that hard to understand or, or even that revolutionary. And joining all of those dots between my pre previous planning experience and my newfound tech skills was a very enlightening process, which I continue to now trying to help others join those dots as well through the work. Claire, I'm going to stick with you. Thank you for that response. We're going to move to question two. And this um, is do more... mind if I just add something quickly to that? S certainly, probably yes. I think that's a really great point, Claire, because I think what the other thing that digital literacy does is kind of allow us to not be afraid of the change that Sasha mentioned earlier, because it's kind of about problem solving. And when you have those skills, I think that's what kind of eliminates the fear essentially, because um, from my experience, a lot of a lot of the people that do kind of showcase that fear of change is it is a lot of the time comes down to the question of digital literacy. Would you go as far as saying that the education and core planning curricula that we all get exposed to young when we go through planning school has an element of contributing to that fear depending on mm. time-wise. I mean, I went through planning school 20 plus years ago and I was taught by people who were taught planning 20 years before that. So you can quickly see how it adds up, right, in terms of advancement in thinking and the role of digital and data. Would you guys go as far as saying that there is a generational gap dare I say it in That's... willingness or, or no not willingness but more uh, maybe a, a bit of fear there in embracing digital and data that's, that's part of it but my opinion is that it actually needs to be tackled earlier everyone needs basic computational thinking skills and that is something that has been introduced into the national school curriculum but it's still going to be another you know 10 years or so before any of those school children reach university and then the workforce yeah so it's kind of this in-between space that we need to really concentrate on ensuring that planners planning students but people in the workforce do get the opportunity to study a basic coding course or or a basic data data analysis course not necessarily because they'll become software developers but just so that we can get over some of those barriers in thinking about what is possible and what can be done and what's easy and what's hard. And then to some of the deeper questions around how we start to think about authority and how we encode our values in, in digital systems and transparency and trust and all of those kinds of things, which we urgently need to be thinking about um, as, we, as we start setting up all of these digital systems for, for the planning profession. And I suppose therein lies, of course, the pivotal role that you know, industry bodies like the Planning Institute of Australia, you know, have in bridging that gap for those already in the workforce needing to upskill in those areas. Okay, well, let's move to question two. Claire, back to you. This is sort of what does the future state now look like? So 
plan tech, what's the big opportunity if you were to sort of narrow down a key area that you feel looking forward is is really going to reap the benefits from digital and data in the planning process and for planning practitioners, what would you put your finger on? What would you share with us? Right, future state. I mean, I think about the future state in two ways. There's the future state where we digitize everything we do right now and just convert it all one-to-one into a largely automated digital workflow. Or there's a future where planners actively involved in redesigning how we do things at the same time as we start implementing these new digital technologies. So I guess when I think about the future, the, the main one of the things that I'm most afraid of is a lot of these digitization efforts driven by the a single goal. And that single goal is to approve development faster. There's nothing inherently wrong with approving development faster, but that single metric, that single kind of goal, that single measure of success doesn't tell us anything about how well that development contributes to the rest of society or how that development might help us meet climate change goals or any of these other things which are incredibly important and arguably much more important. So how do we make sure that we are looking to as a vision of a future and we're not trapping ourselves in kind of our current practices just just by doing a one-to-one translation into a digital automated system? Mm, Interesting. Uh, It's it's my... Yeah, yeah. It's more questions than answers, (laughs) but... um. (laughs) Rightly so. Your views on future state? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there are tremendous opportunities. As I mentioned, I'm particularly interested in the intersection of plan tech and strategic planning. And to look at that, I guess, as an example, as Claire just introduced, you know, I think there are tremendous opportunities in terms of improving planning practices and focusing on using data and, you know, tools to actually analyze and evaluate how we're performing, you know, making making strategic planning more agile, resilient, transparent, and keeping us accountable, you know, actually using data to demonstrate what we've achieved or what we haven't achieved compared to more static PDF strategic reporting that isn't really clear and can be misinterpreted in a lot of different ways. Whereas, you know, when we use metrics that's informed by data, although there is obviously always risks in terms of misrepresenting statistics, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're, you know, transparent about your data sources, anyone is then able to interrogate that and understand how you've gone about measuring something. And I think it would be great if we could just hold planners to be more accountable, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Sasha, what's your view here on future state and opportunity? Absolutely agree with Claire and Pragya. And I'm pretty optimistic that the digital transformation can lead to better planning outcomes and not just processes. You know, we've got access to all this additional data that we can use. And just to build on Claire's point that there's a big focus on speeding up timeframes and whatnot, we can shift that into a positive thing as well by acknowledging that we're going to have more time on our hands as planners as a result of these digital tools. So just using those gains in efficiency to focus our attention on other things 
could be a really great opportunity that we'll see. Uh, and then there's a couple other things that I wanted to mention. And one of them was, I think one of the main reasons we're seeing a lot of digital planning tools being created is for the purpose of improving transparency with the public, making planning information easier to understand and access, uh, encouraging more engagement from our community mm. members. So I think that we might start to see our communities becoming more educated and empowered and self-sufficient in the planning space. So I think we might reach a point where planning for places is a bit more community-led as opposed to planners just making assumptions about what our communities want. And then something else that I just wanted to quickly throw out there too, it's more of a potential risk for the future that I can see. And I think Prugs touched on this earlier, and that's a risk of potentially an increase disparity forming between our cities and our rural and regional areas due to digital transformation. So we know that our regions struggle with limited funding and resources in contrast to our major cities and larger centres. So I think, unfortunately, we might see that gap grow bigger and rural and regional places may start to suffer a bit more because they won't be providing the same opportunities that our cities will. So this is definitely a concern, but I think if we're on the front foot about it, there's things that we can do to try to minimise that gap. Absolutely. Pragya, last question. I'll start with you. I want to get a sense of your views around what this all means for the planning profession. So I want to talk about people and your peers, planners who are policymakers and uh, mm. practitioners and academics, planners come in all different shapes and sizes and forms, as we know. What does this mean for the planning profession? Great question. I think I'll kind of actually relate it to a bit of the point that you made earlier about maybe the generational gap. But I think partially the reason or the hesitation for change has been a consequence of what we have as a framework, as our planning policy. And I think essentially the way that currently planning policy is established does kind of provide us with a lot of barriers in terms of implementing some of these plan tech initiatives. And I think if we were to, I guess, transform truly as an industry I think there'll have to be a lot of policy changes in that space that not only encourages innovation, but almost mandates it to a certain degree. And I think once that happens, pl planners, you know, as a profession, I would say generally are quite passionate. And so I think, you know, planning the industry, I guess, in New South Wales particularly is very complex and we're very used to adapting to, to you know, complex situations. So I think if we can get some really good policy reform, I think planners will adapt and will be passionate enough to innovate and, and basically adopt as much plan tech as is feasible. And I think, yeah, if we can continue to encourage kind of government body and industry bodies, advocacy work and kind of the smaller scale educational pieces, you know, whether it's lunchtime learning series or um, smaller scale training or diplomas or whatever it is. I think I've seen, you know, even in the last few years, I've seen a lot of people able to um, upskill in a short amount of time. So I think, I think we will see some fast adaptation in that space. 
That's fantastic. I love I love that idea of fast adaptation and your your optimism as well, which is which is fantastic. Claire, same question for you. What does this all mean for the planning profession? I think it requires the planning profession to be more actively engaged in the development of technology that is kind of shaping how they go about the day-to-day work and in particular engaging in processes around how to innovate and how to do things better and really to carve out the time and space they need to do that. I solved this problem personally by going off to do a PhD, but this is not an option that's available to everyone or necessarily even to undertake a master's course. But regardless of that, just finding some space and having planning organizations around Australia finding space for their planners to innovate. And it doesn't even have to be digital. I know that this is something we could be doing better and giving people the permission to explore, to change things. But the reality is people are often so caught up with the next deadline, all of these things that very, very rarely when working do we actually get the opportunity to to step back and reflect and look at how we could innovate and how we could be doing things better. And that would make make a big difference, at least in making sure that we're we're going forward in the right direction with this this process of digital transformation. Mm, nice thoughts. Sasha, over to you to finish up here. What is it what does this mean for the planning profession? Absolutely agree with Claire. We need to be constantly aware of this change that is happening and always thinking about how we can innovate, you know, even down to just having that awareness before, during and after the implementation of a digital product within your team, within your organization identify where gains in efficiency are occurring due to that and how those extra resources can be redirected to more meaningful tasks and and identify what new data and information you'll be able to collect through the process and how you can use that to improve your planning outcomes. So yeah, I think it's really around maintaining that awareness that this can be more than just a process change uh, and that we can get more out of it. And then also agree with around uh, a policy change. I think it would help to really establish what is best practice, what is the minimum standard that we all need to meet in terms of digital infrastructure and solutions and really push for that to happen as part of policy changes. And, And then I guess just my final point, going back to that cultural shift, it is difficult to say how we can make this happen. I think good leadership is really important amongst teams. We need champions, as Pragu was saying earlier. We need to lean into the change rather than fearing it. And I think a lot of the fear is around, am I going to lose my job? And I think my response to that will always be no. Computers will never have the creativity, the passion or the critical thinking capabilities of the human brain. So Yes, our jobs will change, but there's still going to be a need for planners to do the work that computers can't do. A lovely way to end there, Sasha, and certainly certainly resonates those points and that sort of glimpse of, of optimism for the future and that humans are still going to be the, the driving engine room of 
planning our future cities. So thank you um, so much for sharing your responses to the last question. We're at time now. It's gone quickly and I feel that we could sit on the couch and continue for a long time, but we do need to bring it to a close. Sasha, Pragya, Claire, thanks so much for joining us at the Future of Place podcast. Wishing you all the very best for the remainder of 2021 and beyond. And really on behalf of our audience, thank you. Thank you dearly for sharing your insights into the planning profession and where it's going and the role of Plantech. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. And so for our audience, if you're not subscribing to the Future of Place podcast, head to your favourite podcast platform. You'll find us there, Future of Place. You can also head to our website to find out more about the project being delivered by the Smart Cities Council. The website is futureofplace.global. My name is Adam Beck, your host of the Future of Place podcast. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. In the meantime, stay safe. Thanks for joining us.